Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Robotics. I'm your host, Nikki, and thank you so much for joining me from wherever you are in the world today. I'd like to acknowledge my sponsor, Anchor. Anchor is uh, sponsoring this podcast as well as the Generate 22 conference that's coming up on the 30th and the 31st of March at uh, Box Hill TAF, the Lilydale campus. So be sure to check out www.generateconference.com.au to book your ticket. And if you're a student or educator, it is completely free for you. So Anchor is an advanced manufacturing company of CNC grinding machines, automation, motion control solutions, and sheet metal fabrication. Did you know automation, thanks to smart robotics and software design, is an increasing trend across manufacturing? Anchor's innovative integrative manufacturing system, AIMS for short, is the next step in automation for tool manufacturers moving towards end-to-end manufacturing. Operating lights out gives significant efficiency gains for manufacturers. This technology has been designed by their talented team of engineers right here in Melbourne. It gives me great pleasure to introduce you to my guest today, who is Dr. Sarika Kaiwal-Rami. She's a lecturer in early childhood, primary science and technology education at Monash University. Sarika, welcome and thanks so very much for joining me today. Thank you, Nikki. Thank you. It's been a, it's, it's a pleasure to be on your uh, podcast platform. Thank you. And Happy New Year to you. I think we're still in January, so we're still allowed to say Happy New Year. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. Well, hopefully, the, yeah, all good health comes along this year. Yes, thank you. And for everyone out there listening to this podcast, we, we both hope you're well. So, Sarika, you're a passionate and very experienced educator. You taught primary and secondary science, chemistry and mathematics for 10 years in Melbourne before embarking on your PhD. So what were insights from your teaching experiences? Yeah, that's, a, that's a fantastic question. And I might have to take you down the memory lane. Like, uh, like you mentioned, yes, I've been a primary, secondary teacher in the Australian context. However, my journey began as a multicultural immigrant into Australia. So I got my teaching degree. So all of my education, postgraduate education, including my PhD and all of that is in the Australian context. But it was born from my own teaching experiences that came from overseas. I'm from uh, born and brought up in, in India, in Mumbai. And I came with aspirations to be a teacher because I, ha- I had teaching experiences. Um, I was a primary teacher. I had my own coaching college back um, back in India, back home. So that passion um, drove me into Australia to do my teaching degree. And whilst I was doing my teaching degree, I got this beautiful dream job because uh, I always wanted to be uh, teaching in an international context. And I learned so much from those experiences in terms of the diversity, the diverse backgrounds. So it was not only me who was bringing those diverse backgrounds into uh, my teaching, but also being a co-learner with my students. And and then I, I, I also learned in my experiences that students don't come as empty vessels. They come with a lot of experiences so they're not empty bags and, and, and hence the passion from early childhood. So how children, how students are groomed and what sort of family context they come from, because the school that I was teaching in, it was just one school. So I, I stayed in one school for those um, 10 years. 
um, as moving into primary and then um, it was a it was a school next door so it was a primary and secondary affiliated to each other so we had a lot of back and forth relief teaching doing in both contexts so I taught grade fives and six and then when I moved to the secondary context I had the same students when I was in year seven but I realized that how students even academic achievement is diverse and their needs are all diverse in terms of literacy numeracy their communication skills their social skills and all of that. And because I was teaching science, it's very practice-based, um, at least what I thought um, from my own schooling experiences. It's different in terms of how I had to manoeuvre my teaching based on not only students' academic goals, but also what parents saw their children to learn. So not for all families, academic learning is important. So when I saw my, with my own VC students as well, here I am teaching science and mathematics and chemistry, but there were learners in my classroom who had different academic goals, different trajectories. So uh, yeah, all of those mixed bag experiences made me realize how important it is to consider not only my own teaching attitudes, my own beliefs and values, also student goals, and also those intergenerational um, impact that happens on student learning. Listen, as you're talking, Sariga, my mind is just flitting from one thing to the next, like touching on being an immigrant, because I'm also an immigrant to Australia. And um, I recall my children going to school and um, Afrikaans is our main language. And my son not being um, English as his first language and in I think in year three, the teacher called me in and said, your child's not concentrating or something. And I said to you, but does she actually realize that doesn't speak English as a first language? He gets in three um, instructions in and he's translating and translating and then he loses it because he's translating as he's going on. So, I mean, all sorts of complexities that teachers have to take into account because we are so multicultural in Australia today. I take my hat off to all teachers. Let me just say that from the outset, I think you are angels that inhabit the, the, our earth here because you have to have such a, a multitude of skills and insights that you have yourself to deal with the kids that are coming through in the classrooms today. Absolutely, yeah. And and my experience with the school was also, they were all from multicultural backgrounds and even the parental backgrounds were different in terms of the educational backgrounds. And, and that we could straight away see that how it translates into students' mindsets in terms of their own formulating their own academic goals for future so yeah absolutely it was an amazing experience and I and I bring those lived experiences into my university teaching as well you know I um, I think it's been if I'm not mistaken that um, teachers are they actually they treated as doctors in terms of the, the status that's accorded to teachers there because your ATAR has to be so high to get in there as a starting I'm, I'm not sure if this has changed in Victoria so please correct me if I'm wrong but I think the ATAR to go into teaching is 54 which in my estimation is pretty low but just going back to the, the Finland example is if you're a teacher in Finland like they you know, your your social standing, I think you need a master's degree as a minimum to be a teacher there. And they treat education very, very seriously. Yeah, yeah. I've been to Finland. It was my one of my goals to go and um, visit Finland schools, which I did back in 2019. So as a part of a um, travel scholarship grant. So we'll probably talk more about yeah, the international work. But Finland really, again, goes goes back to the memory lane of how the Finnish context is different to the Australian context. Yeah. So what motivated you to do your PhD and what was your thesis about? Again, a great question in terms of 
when I started my teaching journey, I learned a lot in terms of um, what are those things that critical things that um, impact on students' learning trajectories. And I use the word learning because, and you really nailed it well in terms of not just bagging students as ATAR scores or naming them as, as, as numbers. That was, that was something that I always wanted to embed in my teaching and to ensure that my students' abilities and goals are not numbered. And the feedback that I gave them as well and as a part of the assessment tasks and all of that was always looking at themselves and self-reflecting, being critical learners in terms of don't aim to be, okay, it's about that ATAR score. Yes, you want to get into that university course, but see yourself as a holistic learner and then see where your academic goals and and future goals lie. So this made me think that I really want to research more from the parental side of things because I did see, um, especially in that context, and I was a science leader, so I've been at the faculty of science leader as well as my at my school. So I also got to work with staff from diverse contexts. Staff from memory, we had a staff of about 20, yeah, 20 teachers. And being in the leadership portfolio to work across the literacy team, to work across the mathematics, numeracy, um, coaching teams, the diverse networks. So this was a school in um, one of the um, northwestern region of, of Melbourne. It was a low SES um, school, low socioeconomic status school uh, in terms of highly immigrant population and also the population of students being raised, not just by parents, so it was, you know, from single family, even um, grandparents raising the children. So the dynamics of the way students were learning was coming from the outset. So it was just not inside what's happening inside the school, what's happening with the leadership team. So I branched out to just to look at what is happening in that northwest, um, which comes under the western metropolitan region of Victoria, of Melbourne, Victoria, in, in terms of what are the dynamics of um, the parental involvement. And that became my thesis, look at parents across that region. And also I involve teachers because it's not it's it's just not fair to learn from parental experiences filtering into um, students' learning achievement. So I interviewed teachers across that region and also career counsellors. I've been involved in all those different teams um, as part of my leadership role. So I interviewed, I did observations of, of um, how teachers, it was kind of remote observations, not, not um, classroom observations in terms of how teachers see their students' um, achievement and how they recommend their students' future trajectory. So, for example, when students move from year seven to year nine onwards, it's that um, high school context, we start probing into what their achievement, like what their trajectory will be, whether they want to do VET, VCAL, what BC subjects they want to do and what they want to do in the future when they get when they graduate because it is very important for us to capture at-risk students and um, and get them you know past the year 12 and go into a good course so what was going on in that dynamics of who were the ones who were influencing these students to make their choices future career choices, whether it's VC, VCAL, um, textile studies, to be a doctor, to be an engineer, and all of that. It was a complex process to learn from different stakeholders, but it was the student's career trajectory at the heart of my thesis. It sounds very complex, and I'm sure it was a complex thesis, and if it's possible, I'd like to put a link in, but, you know, when you, you talk about 
who's influencing the children. You know, if you're talking about children that are coming from homes where perhaps the, the parents haven't had further education after their basic education, of course, these are all influencing factors on whether you look at your daughter and say you can go and have a STEM career and you should in fact have a STEM career because there's more money in it and there's more options for you just as a base. You know, that's my my opinion, when I look at any girls, I go, don't limit your choices. Make sure you've got a, a STEM subject to the end of year 12 because it just makes it easier for you should you decide to go go do something. Of course, nothing wrong with humanities, but like keep your options open. Is your thesis available for me to put a link in somewhere, Sarika? Absolutely, yeah. So All right. It, yeah, absolutely. I'll be very happy to share the link. Yeah, please. So please send it to me and I'll put it in the show notes. So why do you think on that sort of intro, why is it important to expose young kids to robotics and STEM? Yeah, so again, from my PhD uh, trajectory, when I started teaching um, at university, um, so we, I, I teach a lot of international students, mm-hmm. multicultural students, there comes the policy of national innovation science agenda. So I did a bit of digging during my PhD as well in terms of um, what is curriculum saying what is um, policy saying in terms of um, science and technology education. Again, I'm a science and technology teacher, a lecturer, so that was my passion in terms of digging what policy is um, saying, doing, support and implement these types of um, subjects in um, students' trajectories. Well, of course, then it translates into STEM careers. Um, so this policy 2015 onwards, so there was, there's a strategic agenda from the Australian government, uh, the STEM in- initiatives, the, the inspiring Australia initiatives and all of that. So after digging into this, I realised that, um, yes, there is a, a big gap in terms of um, how to formulate STEM careers. And here comes my international students. So I'm here, a STEM lecturer, and my students are hungry for STEM um, learning per se, they are they are not. Um, they might be English, you know. Again, English as a second language um, background. But I saw from my students again, they they want to learn uh, how to integrate science and um, technology into their teaching. Not only because there is a policy or there is a curriculum mandate saying that yes, you need to have that science um, curriculum, uh, a science teaching background, or you need to have that science um, subject or that method. I'm talking about primary. So now it's become a compulsory for my primary primary pre-service teachers to have um, not only literacy and numeracy, but also science. They need to do science as well. This is, again, policy curriculum fil- filtering in. But there is no STEM curriculum. So going back to your question in terms of, yeah, STEM careers, building those STEM trajectories in my own pre-service teachers as well, that's where my passion came into from my PhD um, into my own teaching about how we can fit in science and technology. When I did some digging into international research um, and international work, I saw, yes, there is um, uh, robotics, uh, which again is coming from the AI in education agenda, um, from UNICEF, from UNESCO, from the Sustainable Developmental Goals. So I'm giving you the policy landscape. So that's where... I situated that, yes, there is a need for robotics to embed robotics into STEM education, which 
translate to my research. So just touching on this Australia-wide, so um, Queensland, as you, you probably know, um, they're right up there in robotics. They've, they're integrating it into their schools. New South Wales is pretty, I think they're also quite evolved in this space. Talk to us a little bit about the Victorian landscape because, of course, now we have state and federal, so we have a little bit of a more complex system here in terms of also where the money is going and supporting these schools. But um, what's happening in Victoria? Well, in the Victorian context, um, we've got the digital curriculum, the digital technology. So you've got the design and the digital aspect of it. There is a lot of um, emphasis on computational thinking. However, there's no emphasis in terms of how to do it. So it's, I believe, in not just talking the talk, you've got to ma- you make it, you've got to make it work. So how do you do it is the big question. Um, I am also yet to see how robotics is emphasized, um, particularly for computational thinking, for design thinking. Um, so we need to have um, a framework, a practice-based framework, which I saw there is a gap. Um, which again, that led into um, how we could have these evidence-based practices and frameworks that can translate and that can build teachers' capacity. So I'd like, yeah, going back to your question, I'm yet to see how robotics does that um, or translates into um, achieving computational thinking outcomes for, for children. And then again, you've got this ICT capability as a part of the cross-curriculum priorities. There's no mention of how robotics does that to to um, to make our students capable for embedding well, or understanding, yeah, manipulating yeah. ICT. Yeah, and also the future that uh, that they're going into. I I probably think this is a is an open. It's an invitation for universities and the Department of Education to get some workshops going, so that the educators such as yourself get into you know like. I'm sure we'll take this offline, but we'll start this as well, Sarika, and hopefully the Generate 22 conference is a place where perhaps some of the department representatives will come and have a chat and see what what the issues are because, you know, I think there's a missing link somewhere. Absolutely. Yes, I'm really happy it's a practice-based conference. So, yeah, looking forward to that initiative. There is a bit of a gender gap in in STEM, not just in Australia, and um, it's across the world. Why do you think we're still struggling with this after all the initiatives and all the talk that's been talked about it? Well, I'll go back to my my own research and, and, and from what I've seen from my lived experiences as well. It's about the intergenerational influence. So that's the first and foremost thing. And when I say intergenerational, it has to, we need to capture the voices of disadvantaged communities. And it doesn't mean just immigrant communities um, coming from EL backgrounds. It, yeah, disadvantaged school communities, disadvantaged early childhood communities, which involve parents and also teachers' as beliefs, their teachers' as attitudes. Because again, in early childhood, when I teach my own pre-service teachers, um, I really endeavour to strengthen their capacities to go and then enact STEM and robotics in their early childhood settings. However, when you go back to the curriculum, it's it's not there. It's not really flagged. So we don't want to give parents and teachers mixed messages. We don't want to throw them into a space where they've got to work it out themselves. We need to really um, work on their strengths. So I adopt a strengths-based approach. So we need to work with parents, teachers to be able to address those gender gaps. We need to really capture them early enough 
and regarding yeah the gender gap i know there's there used to be gender gap from my own um experience back home in the um in the indian context our parents we we were given only two choices you've got to either be a doctor engineer and then of course doctor engineer you've got to do you know the science degrees and all of that and if the child is um having um a different wants to take a different trajectory based on their own strengths okay you could be a doctor uh, so you could be a lawyer or you could be a teacher <laughs> i like your parents like i'm just going there listen they well paying professions except for the teacher maybe but the rest also you're going to make money and it's not just about the money but yeah but look there's disadvantaged communities everywhere where is the inclusiveness yes. got to bring that inclusivity as well to respecting their voices mm. say if that parent doesn't have that capacity or that thinking to 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 shape the child's trajectory we lost them yeah. there's the, that's the gap yeah so that's what we need to do in the australian context as well look i think we are making some inroads but possibly not as quickly as and for the work that's been put in and i think it's a little bit frustrating i i love talking to the younger like especially women but not the kids you know like boys girls it doesn't really matter and you know what you said earlier on in the talk this this journey of learning because let's face it the world has um completely changed since i went to school and possibly when you went to school and these kids are faced with enormous other challenges that they need to be able to be competent human beings whatever direction they go into you know and it's the technology and certainly i think technology is playing a bigger and ever increasing role in their lives and and how they live their lives Absolutely, absolutely. You really nailed it in terms of how technology is changing our lives. Um, yeah, yeah. So in terms of robotics, that's what I'm seeing from my research um, as well. Because uh, I'm a, I'm a parent as well, so yeah. I'm a I'm a woman in in STEM. I, I'm passionate about STEM and and translating that into um, STEM trajectories for my for my own students, for my own child. But um, from the way we are moving out of this um, pandemic, we can see that technology is here to stay, and we have seen. technology doing good um hence again i want to see how technology and particularly robotics is being translated for social good to to narrow the gaps um because we're seeing technology is narrowing the gap as you and me are talking from different different um yeah different states um we could also tinker online we could also do robotics online again how to translate um learning on a on an online space is is also something and I'm endeavoring to do um oh yeah in my research um so speaking about your research tell us a little bit about how therapy robots can be used within an all inclusive play based program for children's learning physical and mental well-being yep so I'll again take you down um through a journey in terms of um how my research began um 4 years ago um so as a part of conferences we network and i met these um, beautiful international um colleagues so um, from norway england scotland so we met um i'm a part of the uh, the stem actually i'm the founder of the stem significant um research interest group at the european early childhood education research association so we meet um biannually now we meet um online in the back in those days we met um physically and through networking we were we were understanding how different con- in, in the international space are uh, looking at digital childhoods 
are looking at digital technologies being used in um, both in home and um, early childhood contexts. And I do that in, um, in schooling contexts as well, so expanded that um, uh, use of technologies, the concept of digital childhoods, um, how it spans uh, from early childhood to primary and teaching contexts. So what this research from the past four years is, um, is um, showing us that um, through technology, and particularly I'll talk about robotics, using robots, um, technology back then was a taboo. So we saw touch screens. So it was a hierarchy of technologies being um, used in children's um, digital um, lives um, and, and lived experiences. Um, we're moving away from the taboo, okay, you've got these apps, so it was a single interaction through touchscreen technologies, which we thought through research was not enough. It wasn't giving us that oomph in terms of how it is going to um, translate into students' um, learning. So it was exploratory research. We didn't have anything in mind. We just wanted to see how children are exploring technologies and what are the learning outcomes or um, what's, 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 what's happening in that digital space. But for us, it was also making sense of the digital and the physical space, hence the robot. The robot is a tangible piece of technology. It runs through apps, you know all about it. There are different hierarchies of robots as well. So using these different types of and hierarchies of robots that actually work with remote controls, you know, battery operated, app controlled, or just simply um, robot control. I'm really intrigued with the robots that you use um, as well for um, primary and secondary context and health context. But here is a robot who is a tangible piece of resource. So we started looking at how children um, and students um, interact and they don't interact by themselves. There is an adult. So here we also bring in the safe and the, um, um, the safety aspect and the ethical aspect of using robot. Because we, when, we, when we use robotics, we are using AI technologies. Again, you've got these robots that work with you know, AI-driven, um, uh, AI interface. So we, we thought we really need, uh, of course, the capacity building of adults. So we, here we're talking about teachers and, and parents. So we, we work with these uh, stakeholders in terms of um, how multimodal learning is happening. So we, we started looking at how children are interacting. We thought it is in multimodal ways. Um, I'm happy to throw, throw in, give you a, a particular piece of paper that we've actually explained what multimodal learning is. And we at the moment um, through the research, through our research, developing a multimodal teaching framework to, um, ah. to use robots in, um, in educational settings. That would be brilliant. Send me the link for that as well, Sarika. And I'm just thinking, you know, teachers all do professional development. They've all got PDs that they have to do. And does that include that teachers actually come back to university for like a quick one day talk of what's available? Because, you know, I think one of the challenges is that you're dealing with a cohort of, of teachers that have graduated and being in the teaching um, industry for many years. And I think for a lot of them, it's quite intimidating to have to now talk about robots and coding and, you know, all these things. And I, I always say to them, I don't think actually you need to be an expert, but you certainly need to know about it. You need to know so that if a child asks you that you can say, listen, I'm not actually teaching it, but go to X, Y, and Z, and that's where you're going to find it. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So we do, uh, uh, we do have professional developmental courses. So um, again, I'm happy to send you um, the link. So they are online and they can be easily translated to the face-to-face -face, um, mode. The therapy robot program is particularly available for uh, kindergartens. So for early childhood settings and even um, homes for families, happy to send you the link as well. So it is fully funded through the Department of Education. Um, Victorian, so it's only Victoria-based um, for Victorian um, kindergarten services, um, family, and also allied health services, because we're seeing more and more inquiries coming from speech therapists, um, from occupational therapists, in terms of um, how we could they could use robotics for children, social emotional learning, um, problem solving behaviors, resiliency behaviors, empathy, understanding emotions. So all of that is a part of the, um, uh, the therapy robot research. So you're going to be a speaker at the, the conference, January 22, which I'm really excited about. And um, you're going to be covering some of this in your talk? Yes, for sure. Yeah. So uh, I'm, I'm, I aim to present the multimodal um, teaching. So again, I'm a very practice-based, um, yeah. coming from a practice-based mindset. Uh, it's it's developed. So I'll take the, the audience through, which I believe you've got a mix of um, educators, teachers, um, and all of that. Um, so it's through design-based research. Um, it's It was all developed through co-design and a strengths-based approach. So we work hand in hand with teachers um, to develop um, these different resources. I'll take you through examples of robotic stories um, and how they can be enacted through the five-step um, framework. We can talk a lot about this, but I'll probably keep it yeah, for the well, presentation. Yeah. Just on that, any teachers listening to this talk, the conference is free for you to attend. So please make sure to go to generateconference.com.au and please register. You just need to register to come and closer to the time we'll have a schedule of when everyone's speaking. Sarika, I think you're on the Thursday anyway from memory. But um, yes, teachers, educators, anyone in the space, it's free for you as is for students. So um, Sarika, speaking of students, what excites you about the, the cohort coming through? And I guess, you know, you've probably got some stories being so experienced, seeing how the kids are changing from, you know, maybe when you started 10, 15 years ago to where you are now. Absolutely. Yeah. So over the two years of um of work that I've been doing, of course, teaching online, um, teaching STEM online, um, and also working with families um, and some of the teachers um, through online um, pedagogy. So what we're seeing is um, firstly, you're teaching on uh, using technology. Um, so it's kind of like a double whammy uh, the pandemic has thrown us into. So you are teaching online and then you're teaching how to teach online in an online environment. I, I see that um, the, my, my cohort of um, participating um, a cohort in my research and also my own students, they are coming along more and more hungry in terms of how to um, teach in online based environments and robotics um, fits in beautifully. I come in from um, using a principle from my own um, teaching and research. Um, yes, I know technology can be an immersive environment. There are plethora of technologies available, for example, digital games, um, Minecraft and all of that. But I'll, through my multimodality um, teaching framework, I, I, I want to see how 
although we are learning and teaching online, there has to be a physical space um, because it's important for everybody's um, mental, physical health and well-being and all of that. Um, and I see that how um, robotics fits in um, to, to cater for that type of um, mode of, of, of learning. So really excited to, um, to continue working with my students. And um, I really hope that I can come back face to face. But if not, I'll, I'll continue doing robotic demonstrations um, um, online. Uh, and that's why it's, 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 it's um, important that research keeps going. And um, I probably want to use this space in terms of, um, yes, there's, there needs to be more funding going along for professional learning of um, parents, teachers, so that they can build their capacities um, to allow our children to be digital citizens in safe and ethical manner. That's very important moving forward, working with children in digital spaces. I couldn't agree with you more, you know, and I think the the future of any country is what, how do you treat the children coming through the schooling system? What resources are you throwing at them? And, you know, you've spoken a little bit about communities that are maybe not as well funded as anyone. You know, we know the private school sector in Australia is extremely well funded, which are always at a loss as why the government is not supporting them because they've got enough you know, parents able to pay the fees, they do not need extra fees or uh, resources thrown at them. You know, if anything, it should go to the sectors where people are disadvantaged. And there's certainly a lot of those sectors around in Australia. And uh, holistically, if you look at it, you're only as strong as your weakest link, you know, so just to my mind, throw the resources where they need it. But look, we could probably have another um, podcast just on that alone. <laughs> we, we want to be positive. But yes, I, I think we all recognise that the um, severely disadvantaged communities out in Australia. Absolutely. And when we know that things like robotics do work um, for, hmm. for student learning, um, so how can we then reach out to those ones who really need the most? Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, because... They're all students and they all want to be given the same opportunities to do well and create lives for themselves. So, Sarika, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I, I think you and I, I, we can go down rabbit holes and come back and we'll spend the whole day talking here. Um, as I mentioned, I have a huge respect and love for teachers. I come from a family of teachers, so I know the excellent work you do. And to our listeners, you can't see Sarika's face, but she's very, very passionate about what she does. I think all your students are exceptionally lucky to have you as a teacher and also as a mentor. Yeah, yeah. That's the other thing um, in terms of uh, building capacity. So like I keep saying, that strength-based approach. So yeah, I'll be very happy to to, um, disseminate in in whatever ways um, to those who need the most in terms of, you know, whether it's teaching, learning resources mentoring um, spaces so absolutely yes Sarika where can our listeners contact you Um, yes I've got a variety of spaces where I do disseminate um, the work that I do um, to reach out to to teachers and and um, school community communities and families so my twitter handle so at um, sararamani77 I've also got linkedin so my first name and last name on, on LinkedIn. And I also got a Facebook page. Um, so uh, I could send you from memory. It is um, STEMerific um, Ideas and so Early Childhood STEMerific Ideas and Solutions. So I, can, I can send you the link as well where I put snippets of um, my um, research and 
and resources and Definitely. robotic stories. That, that's absolutely fantastic and extremely generous of you. So thank you. Any closing thought you'd like to leave our listeners with today? Um, I would just encourage you to um, think that technology is obviously here to stay. And uh, let's think of technology as a multimodal platform for learning um, and um, figure out, you know, exploratory ways of how children who are at the moment using technologies, but we want to build the capacities to use it um, safely, ethically, and um, for their own um, for their own learning trajectories. But of course, the adult's um, role is very important. And when, when I say the adult, it's the teachers and uh, the parents. And Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. Don't just uh, give your child the phone and wander off. Uh, do check where they are going and what sites they're visiting and what they're looking at. Of course, you are still the adults. Sarika, thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure um, speaking with you. I, I've really enjoyed it a lot. And to our audience out there, Sarika's given you an invitation. Tag on LinkedIn, follow her on Facebook and Twitter. And um, please do reach out to her if you've got any further questions or come and attend the conference and listen to her talk there. So wishing you all well and an absolutely wonderful day and join me again next week. Thanks, Sarika. Thank you, Nikki. It was a pleasure.